0: Good morning. So uh, we had a lot of activity going on at the church this weekend. There we go. At the church this weekend. Uh, some of you may know that on Friday night there was a teen clue party uh, which involved a lot of members of our congregation showing up dressed as uh, various colorful characters. Uh, we had Miss Plum and uh, or, uh, Professor Plum, we had Miss Peacock. We had all the, all the different Clue characters. Um, I'd like to extend on behalf of Kyle, uh, a big thank you for those that were able to participate and join in that. Uh, last night, we had our uh, annual Trunk or Treat. Uh, we had a lot of members of our community show up and participate in that. Uh, a lot of individuals in the congregation that ended up decorating trunks. Uh, I've got some slides that show uh, the various trunks that were decorated, and I think those will cycle, but I think I set them to like 15 seconds, which I'm now realizing is too long for the time I've dedicated to this. So yeah, oohs and ahs, all oohs and ahs. Uh, We had a chili cook-off following that, and uh, we had a lot of community members stick around. It was great to end up seeing at so many tables a mix of people that just came to be a part of the Trunk or Treat, and members of our congregation engaged in conversation and fellowship with one another. Uh, There have been competitions linked to to this weekend. Last night, uh, during the chili cook-off, we had seven chilies that were entered. Uh, I'm going to tell you the the runner-up was last year's champion, Becky Brenner. Uh, Becky put out a really good chili this year, uh, but I have to tell you we had a, a two-way tie for first place, uh, and I, I wanted I want to give props to April Hammer, who uh, was very stiff competition. Uh, April and I tied for first, and uh, I think she deserved the golden ladle this year. So. Uh, we also had a competition going on for the best decorated trunk. Uh, you get to see some of them up here. Um, I realize now that because I'm telling you I tied for first in the chili cook-off, this is going to end up sounding like nepotism, that the Dunnings just you know s- swept the, the court, but... Uh, Emma ended up winning the best decorated trunk. I had nothing to do with it. Lorinda didn't decorate. Emma ended up uh, getting best decorated trunk, and uh, she's not here to receive the reward this morning. She's doing children's program stuff. But we had a lot of really fantastic trunks that were decorated, a lot of effort that was put into it, and most importantly, we had the opportunity to bless and encourage our community uh, in a way that I think was very well received. Um, I want to tell you that there are a lot of other things that are coming up in the next several weeks, uh, that, that you should be looking at your church calendar for, ways to be involved, opportunities to serve, opportunities to be in fellowship with others. Um, and as we get closer to Christmas time, we're gonna see a lot more activity that we can be involved in. Uh, and I just wanna invite you, you know, come and be involved in the activities of the church. Uh, if nothing else, it gives you the opportunity to engage one another in fellowship and relationship. Uh, but it also gives you the opportunity to engage our community in relationship toward uh, ministry of the kingdom. And so uh, all of that said, we'll let those cycle up there for a few more minutes. Um, We're continuing a series on the chore list, things that we are called to do as a church that someone needs to do them or they're just not going to happen and we don't function as well as we might like to. Uh, And so this morning we're we're kind of moving forward. I'm going to skip through these only because I need to get to my slides. 15 seconds was way too long. Okay, there we go. Uh, We are talking about mentoring. Mentoring is one of those things that like when you open the Bible you don't read the word mentor. All right, I'm I'm going to be completely honest with you this morning. As someone who uh, gets kind of nerdy about biblical words? uh, I I you know really tried to find a specific word that might be Mentor and, and it's just not there, but the concept of mentoring is very much present in Scripture. At the end of last week's sermon, you remember we were talking about small groups and the importance of the importance of the church that meets in your home. I mentioned that Jesus took twelve men and created a small group out of them that he'd, he'd go and he'd preach to thousands of people, hundreds of people, and then he''d. he'd retreat into this group of 12. We, we largely call them the apostles, but uh, the gospels tend to call them the 12. And it just recognizes that there was a unique relationship between Jesus and these men And Jesus spent a lot of time with them, instructing them, teaching them. After his resurrection, he spent special and specific time with these individuals to encourage them towards the work of the church. In many ways, they ended up going and modeling to others what it meant to do kingdom work. And so when you witness the apostles throughout the book of Acts doing the things that Jesus has called them to do, you're witnessing the result of Jesus mentoring these men teaching them how to teach, showing them how to cast out demons and raise the dead and and heal people who are sick, but more importantly, how to share with them the good news of salvation that he had brought into the world. Mentoring is a, a key part of the ministry of Jesus, and it doesn't just stop the moment that Jesus ascends to heaven. Jesus hands that ministry over to others, right? And they hand it over to still more individuals. Uh, when we read the story of Paul in the book of Acts, what we end up seeing often is that he's got two types of people, people that travel with him. He's got his peers, individuals like Barnabas or, or maybe Luke or Mark, uh, people who are there to witness, to write down, to do the work alongside him. But then you also have individuals that we see traveling with Paul that Paul would probably call his, his protege, or he calls them his child in the faith. And we have individuals like Timothy and Titus that Paul writes letters to specifically so that they might be able to grow in their service to the church. And if you sit down and you read these letters, they're, they're very affectionate, very warm, very thoughtful. They know the individual well enough to refer to them in ways that make sense to that individual. You read 1 and 2 Timothy, and, and you're going to find that Paul genuinely has a deep relationship with him. He knows, he knows the words to use, the way to speak to him. He writes differently to Timothy than he does to the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus or, or the, the Thessalonian church. Paul writes to the individual when he writes 1 and 2 Timothy. Paul writes to the individual when he writes the book of Titus. When Paul writes the book of Philemon, he has a specific group of people in mind and he writes to them specifically. And the virtue of having a mentoring relationship with some of these individuals is that Paul knows them well enough to instruct them in the specific things that they need. He knows their story, he knows their struggles. He knows their strengths, and by knowing those things, he's able to address them in ways that make them better servants in the church. But Paul also writes broadly to the church, right? He doesn't just write to individuals. Sometimes he writes broadly, and one of the things that you'll notice when you read Paul's instruction to the church, it's almost always relational. Brothers and sisters, I want you to encourage one another, to build one another up, to edify one another towards acts of service. He uses familial language. He talks to people about how important it is to engage one another in relationship, and he defines different types of relationships within the church, the ways in which maybe we as a congregation are supposed to submit to the elders so that we might receive their instruction, their wisdom, their edification. He he talks, as we read already this morning, about the idea of teachers needing to find individuals who they will help grow in their faith. And, and we had this specific passage that we read in Philemon chapter, uh, I don't think it's one verse two, I think it's two verse two, uh, older women likewise, and it's not Philemon, it's Titus. Uh, that whole top heading is wrong. I apologize, that's my fault. In Titus chapter two, he says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Sometimes we turn to this passage, and I think the first thing that we look at is like this household code idea. If you read a lot of Paul's writing, uh, there's times where he addresses Uh, household relationships, slaves and masters, children and parents, uh, husbands and wives, and he he gets very focused on those things, and we see this passage as an extension of the household code. Right? We focus on the love your husbands, your children, be self-controlled, be working at home, kind and submissive. But notice what he says. Older women teach what is good. Yes, I put an ellipsis, an audio, audio ellipsis in there. Older women... Teach what is good. There's this idea here that there are younger women in the church that need instruction from the older women. Now you're thinking to yourself this morning, is he going to put his foot in his mouth and specify what an older woman is, right? I've lived long enough to not fall into that trap. Look around the room really quick, ladies, and if there is a woman in this room younger than you, to them, you are the older woman. Women, look around the room, and if there is a woman in here older than you, to them, you're the younger woman. There we go. I nailed it. I landed the plane, and nobody can be upset with me about it, all right? Men, do the same. Look around the room. If there is a younger man than you in this room, you're the older man. If there is an older man than you in this room, they are. you are now the younger man, right? So now we all get to feel good about ourselves. We all get to be the younger man or the younger woman, except one person on each side of the spectrum, and we just won't mention that, right? Uh, Everyone in this room has someone that they could be mentoring or mentored by. Everyone in this room needs to learn what it means to be a better husband or wife, a better father or mother. Everyone in this room needs to understand better what it means to uh, love your neighbor well, what it means to honor God in your home and in your public life. There is not a person in this room who could not stand at least a little mentoring. They may not be able to take it very well because they've not been trained to, but they need these sorts of relationships. And and if you're thinking, well, you know, yeah, in the Bible times, there was mentoring because of the way that society was structured, and they all had time to sit and talk and visit with one another. I want to suggest to you this morning that we are not as busy as we think we are. We just make ourselves more busy than we need to be. A lot of us find ourselves doing things that are completely unnecessary for genuine, real life the way that God intended it. We make ourselves busy in a way that we are able to avoid deep, meaningful relationships and conversations that challenge us to grow. A lot of times we, we find ways to pile additional stuff on our plate, things that maybe didn't even exist 10, 20, 30 years ago. There are a lot of activities that we engage in on a regular basis that the first century church never had to worry about. And I wanna be honest with you, we're busy now not because we have to be busy, busy, but because I think we're a little bit afraid of what it means not to be busy. The first century church was largely comprised of people who were slaves, who were women that were managing households, individuals that were day laborers, that depended on every single hour of wage that they could receive. They didn't take Sunday off from work because they couldn't. They didn't have the concept of a day off in Roman culture. In fact, you worked every single day or you did not eat. The church met before the sun would rise on Sunday morning so that they could spend time in worship with one another. They had to carve out time during their week to be involved in life together. And when you start thinking about all the things that we engage ourselves in, the busyness of our lives, I want to ask you how much of it is actually essential? I think we have an abundance of free time that we give away to things that don't help us grow spiritually. And I think we have sacrificed these sorts of relationships on that altar. It's not just essential to the the biblical mandate here that we have relationships that allow us to build one another up and edify one another. It's it's essential to life, it's who we are. One of the first things that we see in Scripture is that as, as God is creating, He says, everything is very good. He gets to the end of creation and he says it's very good. He said it's good up until that point, but he gets to the end and he says it's very good. You turn over to the next chapter and we find that Adam, alone with all the animals in God, is not complete. There is something not good. God identifies in his very creation a situation that is not good. He says it is not good for the man to be alone. Now we think of that as a, a marital aloneness, right? And I, I do think that there's something very powerful and strong about the fact that God addresses the loneliness with a marital situation. Not least of all because Adam's gotta help make children, right? And and that's one of the first mandates that God gives to humanity. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's something that we're supposed to see there. But God doesn't say it's not good that Adam can't procreate says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I think a lot of us are lonely people because we've pulled ourselves again out of relationship. And the relationships that are defined in Scripture are relationships that are intended to help us grow. It's it's David and Nathan. David, who is Already, in many ways, a man after God's own heart still needs a prophet who knows him well enough that he comes and he shares with him the hard truths of life and challenges him. David, there's sin in your life, and you need to address it. David, you want to build a temple for God, but you know what? I don't think he wants you to do that. In fact, I know he doesn't want you to do that, and here's why. David, your household is a mess, and you need to get it in order. When David takes Nathan's advice, things go pretty well. When David doesn't, things go pretty poorly. But what we end up seeing is that people in Scripture have these mentoring relationships. Here's here's just a few that we can look at. Ananias mentored Paul, helped him to grow in his understanding of the gospel. He was sent specifically by God, to help Paul grow in his understanding so that he might then be able to become the apostle that he was. Paul has Timothy and Titus, as we've already discussed today. You can go through the book of Acts and see, though, that there are dozens of people that Paul ends up taking on mission trips with him, that he ends up leaving behind to do ministry in the place where Paul took them to. We've already mentioned a number of those. If you read through just the the greeting to the Romans at the end of the book, you see a number of people that Paul mentored into being located ministers as he continued to be a roaming, wandering evangelist. If you look in the Old Testament, on Wednesday night, Bob taught on Naomi and Ruth, and Naomi is a mentor to Ruth. Yeah, she's her, her mother-in-law, but there's this very clear situation in which Naomi gives Ruth advice and Ruth follows the advice and things work out particularly well for her. And it's, it's a good example of how an older woman, we don't know her age, so we're not you know speculating there, the older woman teaches the younger woman what to do and as a result of that, good things come. The younger woman is blessed in listening to the older woman. There's a little bit of defiance at the beginning. No, I'm not going back home. I'm going where you're going. Your home will be my home. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, right? Where you die, I will die. You have Eli and Samuel. This story about a young boy who is born to his mother after prayer, just you know, pouring out of her. And he's left at the temple to grow, to become the man that God will use for so many important tasks in the early life of the Israelite people. You have Elijah and Elisha. There's this interesting moment, many of you know it, that uh, you know, Elisha has been following Elijah around, witnessing the miraculous things that God has called him to do, hearing the teaching that he offers, having the opportunity in many ways to, to like hold the, the coattails of, of Elijah so that he might understand what it means to be a prophet of God. And the funny thing is, in the last chapter of Elijah's life, you go from town to town and you have all these interactions with like 50 prophets here and, and 50 prophets there and every town seems to have all these prophets. But you know what? We don't know any of those prophets' names because they didn't go where Elijah went. Elisha follows Elijah. Elijah. He witnesses what Elijah does, and he takes the mantle, like literally. You want to know where that idea of taking up someone's mantle comes from? It's literally from the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah takes his his robe, and he whacks the river with it, like you smack someone with a towel, right? Snap them. A thing that you're not supposed to do at camp. If you're a camper-aged child, and you go to camp, and you, you know, snap someone with a towel, you'll get in trouble. But If you snap the Jordan River with it, then it's going to split. Can you imagine being like towel-whipped by Elijah? That would be really painful and powerful enough to split the river. Have Elijah and Elisha, and Elisha does greater things than Elijah. Not because Elisha is greater, but it's this idea of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? I got to see the power of God in the life of Elijah. What is God going to do in my life? I got to witness it firsthand, and I would not leave his side. You know, it's funny because Elijah, is at the as he's getting ready to die, although not really die, be carried off in a chariot of fire, he's like, hey, you know what, Elisha, you should probably stay here. And Elijah, Elisha's like, no, no, I am going with you. And get to the next town. You know what, uh, Elisha, you should probably stay here. I am going with you. Three times this ends up happening. Elisha is committed to witnessing God's power in the life of Elijah, which builds him up to be a great prophet. I want to encourage you this morning to to recognize what happens in these relationships here. Someone with wisdom who listens to God, makes choices based on what it is that God desires for them, has someone walking in their footsteps, witnessing what it is that's going on in their life, and oftentimes surpasses the things that they had witnessed. Jesus tells his apostles, you will do greater things than these. As Jesus is literally raising people from the dead, he tells his apostles, you will do greater things than these. That's that's God telling those he mentored, that the works that you will do will be greater than the works I have done. Mentoring makes every part of the church stronger. If you have a great elder in your church who invites younger men alongside him to witness him in his eldering, his shepherding, his pastoring, how much greater is that man going to be as an elder when his time comes? This morning, I'm making the great mistake of teaching on mentoring, and I don't have a younger man up here preaching alongside me, right, where I get to step back and let him take over for a moment or two and share about how important mentoring is to him. Every one of us that has a ministry in the church should have someone that walks alongside us that witnesses what we do, how we do it, so that they might be the next to do it themselves and to do it better than we ever could. I want to encourage you this morning to think about the story of Mordecai and Esther. Sometimes mentoring relationships cross the gender line, right? Mordecai has the opportunity to continually remind Esther how important it is for her to trust in God, that she has been prepared for such a time as this, to speak into her life the truth of what God will do with and through her. Think of the great that comes from Esther's faithfulness to the position that God has put her in. We all need mentors. We all need someone who is older than us and wiser than us to speak the truth of God into our lives and allow us to witness the ways in which they serve. And we all need someone younger than us watching us to keep us accountable the acts that we've been called to. You know, it's a, it's a lot easier, maybe not a lot easier, it is a lot more convicting to do the work of God with eyes on you. It's really hard to become lazy about the things that God is asking you to do when you know you are responsible for someone else coming to a better understanding of how God has called you and maybe called them. If you're not serving in the church, It might be because you feel like no one's watching. I want to encourage you with with this one idea of a model of mentoring, okay? Uh, um, It's not perfect. There are a dozen other ways that you could think of mentoring, but I've heard this one repeated often enough, and it sticks in my mind well enough that maybe it will at least get you started down the road of mentoring. So you want to be a mentor. The first thing that you need to do is you need to keep this in mind. I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. This is how we teach children most of the time, right? When we're when they're really little, we sit alongside them and we help them clean their room or maybe we do the cleaning ourselves because they're a little too small to really like even reach into the toy box or whatever. And we clean For them to witness so that they know what cleaning looks like. And then you move forward and and you encourage them, hey, grab those over there and put them in the box for me. And then you move forward and you're right. okay, you know, you're old enough now. You can clean your room by yourself. And then finally, you know what? I'm just going to watch. I'm going to witness that you have done the thing that we've always taught you to do. Sometimes you backslide and, you know, in the teenage years you have to help them relearn how to clean their room, right? But mentoring is an ongoing process. It doesn't just stop. There There is a benefit to saying, you know what, I was there when you started this and I see the ways in which you're backsliding a little bit. Let's move you forward again. I'm going to tell you this morning that I think there are probably a lot of people in this room right now that are struggling to think of who has mentored them. But there's also probably an equal number of people in here that can immediately say, this is the person that taught me what it means to serve in the church. We don't talk about those mentors as often as we probably should. And so I want to encourage you, ask the people around you, who is your mentor in the faith? What did you learn from them? how are you taking the lessons that they taught you and passing them on to someone else? And if you can't identify a mentor that you've had in your life or that you currently have, because, again, all of you have someone older than you except one person in this room, maybe it's time to ask someone to be your mentor, or maybe it's time for you to identify who you are going to mentor. Paul doesn't exclude anyone from this task. Nobody gets off the hook, right? You don't get to say, you know, I put in my time mentoring other people. No, no. If you put in your time, that means that you have even more experience than you did before, and how much more powerful is that experience now than it was 10 years ago when you put down the mantle of being a mentor? Take the mantle back up, because you know what? Elijah didn't put the mantle down until he was off the face of the earth every one of us has a responsibility to the people who are coming up behind us in the church to nurture and love and care for and encourage and teach. There was another event that happened this weekend, yesterday, in the morning. Uh, April Hammer along with several others, has been uh, putting on a a, uh, ladies' Bible class, Bible study, mentoring opportunity. Yesterday, they made apple pies, and I know because when I picked Lorenda up, I could smell the apple pie in my car, and it smelled delicious, and we're going to have it this afternoon, and I'm pretty excited about the pie. Time spent with people who are younger than you is almost always a mentoring opportunity. It's an opportunity to witness what they, what they know about themselves, what they probably don't know about themselves, and ways that you can, can encourage them to grow and become more the person that God wants them to be. Show up to things like that. When you see something in the bulletin that says, "This is an opportunity to interact with people who are younger than you, don't say, "You know what I already put in my time," Say, "This is an opportunity for me to be a mentor, to pass the mantle." To encourage someone to stand on the shoulders of the church that has come before them so that the church might be stronger tomorrow than it is today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have made the church of many people, a body of many parts. Every one of us has our own function, our own opportunities to serve. We all have our own life experience and wisdom and uh, observations. We have failures that we've learned from and we've had great successes that helped us uh, to become who you want us to be. And Father, it would be a crying shame if we didn't pass the wisdom that you've given to us on to the next generation. Help us to engage in deep and meaningful relationships. Help us to set aside the things that are distractions to the reality of life, that we should not be alone, but we should find companionship in this world. People to walk alongside us to help us in our work. People for us to encourage that they might grow in you. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to identify people that we need to be mentoring and people we would want to be mentored by and then be bold enough to approach them to ask them to mentor us or to ask to mentor them. Father, I pray this morning that you would help each one of us to recognize those who have served as our mentors in the past. And Father, if, they, if, if we've been failed by not being mentored, I pray that you would help us to identify the way that that can change today, to break a chain of a lack of mentoring Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the ultimate mentor, who we can look to and see as the author and perfecter of our faith, that if we walk in the footsteps that he walked in, we might be more like you desire for us to be. I pray this morning that you would work in the hearts and minds of the older people in this church, whoever they may be, that they might identify those to mentor and the younger people that they might be willing to ask to be mentored all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have need of the church this morning, if we can bless you, if we can pray for you, if we can walk alongside you, if you want to be baptized, I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium and I would be happy to visit with you. Uh, We have elders here who would pray with you. We have some ladies here who would do the same. If you have any need of the church, you can meet me at the back of the auditorium as we stand and sing.